fighting back against Alzheimer's, and a listener question about Castlight Health. This is Industry Focus. Hi, Fools. Healthcare analyst Michael Douglas here. Uh, happy Wednesday. Uh, we are here to talk about, well, a, a, a very tough uh, and, and not not really fun disease to talk about, which is Alzheimer's disease. And then we're going to step into a little conversation about Castlight Health from a, a fantastic questioner from a, a question from listener Alan. Um, so let's let's hop right into it on Alzheimer's first. Now, this is a, a disease that is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. Um, Five million cases last reported. Uh, as many as 13.5 million people in the U.S. could have it by 2050. Um, enormous costs and a, another very frightening statistic about them. 99% of clinical trials regarding Alzheimer's drugs have failed. It's a big number. Um, so want to go and, and talk a little bit about sort of where we are with um, potential Alzheimer's treatments that are currently in the clinic. Uh, this is particularly timely because the Alzheimer's Association International Conference is happening this week in Washington, D.C. So, Todd, let's let's go down the list. Uh, I'll uh, let's lead off with Eli Lilly's solunezumab. That's a great place to start. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, this is a condition. Alzheimer's disease is it's such a huge unmet need. And I wish today that you and I were able to talk about drugs that we're going to get approved next week. And then um, that we're clearly going to move the needle too. Yeah. Unfortunately, the drugs, all three of the drugs that we're going to talk about today are still in phase three clinical trials. We're about to go into phase three clinical trials and data readouts are still years away, which means the commercialization is even further out. Um, that being said, uh, Eli Lilly's drug is very interesting, um, not because it's proven itself in clinical trials to be a fantastic drug, but because, like you mentioned, 99% of clinical trials have failed, and at least there are there's some evidence here that Eli Lilly's drug works. Essentially what happened is Eli Lilly was studying this drug in phase three trials that did not pan out in 2012. Right. They had spent a lot of money developing this drug, so they went back and they did um, a, a, a post hoc analysis, and they discovered that while it didn't work for everyone, it did seem to work in very early stage or mild cases of Alzheimer's disease. And what it did was it delayed the progression of the disease to more moderate or severe cases. Sure. So that's a pretty good finding. It was it was enough for them to say, okay, let's keep watching this. And what they did is they, they studied it for an additional two years. Um, and the results were presented today at the conference. And sure enough, it showed that it delayed the progression of the disease in mild Alzheimer's disease patients by about 30%. Now, that's uh, not a fantastic number. Right. But it's the first evidence we've had in a long time that maybe we're making some headway on curbing just how how difficult this disease is to treat. Sure. No, that that makes sense, and certainly certainly good news for Eli Lilly. I I, I would say even more importantly, hopefully, um, some good news for the many patients with Alzheimer's. Um, let's let's hop into another drug. 
early stage, or at least the data that we have thus far is always early stage, but the data looked pretty good, and that's Biogen's uh, BIIB037, also known as Aducanumab. Yeah, investors loved um, learning at the end of last year, early this year, that this drug was making an impact. Um, they think that this drug could be a big seller if it can prove out in late stage trials what it's shown so far in early stage trials. And what's really interesting about this drug is that the results in the phase one trials, I mean, normally you look at phase one, you go, wow, it's really early stage. I can't put too much confidence in that. Right. Biogen thought those results were so good that they decided to leapfrog phase two styles and they're heading straight into phase three mm-hmm. uh, and they're putting up a lot of money obviously to be able to to do that um whether or not phase three trials also show that this drug is effective at improving um uh cognition in alzheimer's disease patients that we don't know yet i mean essentially you know the phase one trial basically showed that this drug does a great job of reducing the plaque buildups that are thought to interrupt communication uh, between um, cells in the brain. So, yeah. you know, if we can get rid of those lesions, if we can get rid of those buildups, those plaque buildups, and restore the ability for the brain to communicate effectively, then obviously this could be a, a major advance. Um, what's interesting about this drug, too, is that out of the three drugs that we're discussing, this is the only one who's yet to fail. Right. Uh, in in clinical trials. So it'll be interesting to see how phase three plays out, but obviously there's a lot of interest and excitement about this drug as well. Sure. And and just for listeners who may not be familiar, the um, the um, plaques that Todd's talking about, the, that's usually sort of known as the, um, the official name of them is the beta amyloid plaques. And so you'll often hear those discussed when people are talking about Alzheimer's drugs is sort of as Todd already described sort of how those plaques work. But just so you know, the the, the term that's usually used is uh, beta amyloid. Um, yeah, certainly an exciting drug, um, as you pointed out, very early stage. Um, but the fact that Biogen immediately moved it to phase three is an encouraging sign. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, that will lead to some good news at some point in the future. Um, let's talk about Axiomat Sciences, uh, RVT-101. Yeah, this is the third of the three drugs we're discussing today. Um, it's also one of the, I don't know, to me it's it's one of the oddest ones. Because, kind of a long and storied history with this drug. Yeah, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a drug that was originally developed by GlaxoSmithKline. Right. And sure enough, again, this drug failed in clinical trials. Um, GlaxoSmithKline gave up on it mm-hmm. and basically said, listen, who wants to buy this thing? And they sold it late last year um, to a company that essentially be- was created to usher this drug along through trials. So this is the only drug that, that this company, Axovin Sciences, has to its name right. uh, at this point. And it, it, the, the mission basically is, again, to look at the data, try and see where it works best, and then be able to structure a phase three trial for this drug that can play to its strengths and allow it to win eventual approval. Um, You know, my optimism for this drug is is less than it is for Eli Lilly's and Biogen's. It's not because I want it to fail, I want it to succeed. Uh, But there's a part of me that that just wonders about if, if someone as big as Glaxo with the resources Glaxo has, Uh, is willing to step away from this drug and accept a a small token $5 million payment plus some royalties and some milestones um, from from, uh, Axovent 
who bought it. It just makes me wonder, you know, just how much potential Glaxo sees in this drug. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I hopefully I'll be proven wrong, and this will be a, a, a very successful drug. What could end up happening with all three of these drugs is that each one of them is used at a different stage, kind of like we see with cancer drugs. So perhaps what we see is the Lilly drug is used at the earliest stage. And then for people who fail to respond or whose disease still progresses, maybe then they're moved into the Biogen drug. And then maybe if the Biogen doesn't, drug doesn't work, maybe it's then moved into this RV RVT-101 drug uh, that's under development. Um, but again, all of that is it's basically you know wishful waiting at this point. Sure. We've, we've got years before we'll know for sure if these work. Yeah, and and that's definitely going to be I think the 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 trouble with all three of these drugs for both public health advocates and investors is sort of okay. Well, well, what do we do? So while no one, of course, can read the future, much as we all wish we could, um, which of these three drugs are you? most excited about and i think i already know your answer but no, yeah i'm gonna go with biogen yeah not a surprise you know i like biogen as a company mm-hmm. more than i like these other two companies sure so for that reason i'm more confident in investing and in owning shares in the company and hoping or assuming that maybe they'll be able to do something with this drug um rather than putting all my eggs into you know lily's drug or um accidents drug which you know again it's it that's a binary a binary event i mean it, it's going to work or it's not going to work and the shares could either go up 100% or down 100% right yeah it, it's 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 tough to invest in you know in a one trick pony like um like accident and of course Eli Lilly's just had so much trouble growing their top line because of their massive uh, patent cliff all those patent expirations on all all these drugs that they've just had such trouble but yeah the three certainly the business model I'm most confident in is Biogen uh, and but you know at the end of the day I think the most important thing is regardless of who who ultimately gets a drug to market um, for Alzheimer's the key thing is going to be a drug that helps people that um, takes this disease and makes it more treatable, makes it less, um, hopefully, less awful. Um, I so think we'll get there, awful. Michael. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you look at what we did with HIV. It's true. You look at what we've done with with various uh, cancers and extending life. Yeah, I, I think we'll get there, but yeah, it's obviously can't happen fast enough. Yeah, absolutely. So something we will be watching very, very closely, um, both during the conference and after. Um, so let's let's pivot and shift gears a little bit. Uh, we got a listener question. Love listener questions. Folks, industryfocus at fool.com. Send us an email. Um, please, about you know anything that's on your mind. We love getting uh, getting questions. We try to answer them all. We certainly read them all. Um, and just always thrilled when we get uh, getting get something from listeners. Um, so Alan, who's a loyal Market Foolery uh, listener, and by the way, please feel free to check out the Market Foolery podcast and the Motley Fool Money podcast um, that are also available. Uh, we are um, the, the great people on both of those shows, and so I uh, highly recommend you, you check them out. So anyway, Alan, a loyal Market Foolery listener, uh, wrote a note asking if any of the, and I quote, healthcare gurus, and by the way, Alan, thank you for referring to me as one. I really appreciated hearing that. Um, if any of us have an opinion on the healthcare tr- cost transparency space, particularly about Castlight Health, um, and... Well, Todd, I think we have opinions on Castlight Health. They they are not they are not the most positive opinions. Um, I think that when you look at Castlight, it's it's a tough it's a 
for me, at least it's a tough stock for me to see putting in my portfolio. But let's take a step back and first talk through Castlight's business model. Todd? Great, great. Yeah, Michael, um, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a, a guru rather than a fireman. So <laughs> I, I absolutely appreciate the comments from the listener. Sure. Um, Castlight is one of those companies you want to love and root for. Yeah. Because the mission that they have taken on is potentially game changing. Sure. It's also a great example, though, how a great idea doesn't necessarily trade and translate into a, a profitable, profitable business model. Um, that's worthy of investor dollars. Um, and and here's, here's the situation, okay? What Castlight does is they aggregate data from healthcare insurance companies, payers, et cetera, to determine what the costs should be or are um, for doctor visits, procedures, x-rays, whatnot. And then they provide through employers and healthcare payers access to patients to be able to go in and select who they want to go see for their doctor visit or, again, procedures uh, based on cost. So what it does is it creates, you know, it evens the playing ground. It finally creates some, some price transparency in the healthcare sector. You know, most people, they walk into a doctor's office, they get told they need an x-ray. They have no idea how much that x-ray is going to cost. Right. They have no idea how much the lab work is going to cost. Obviously, what they're trying to do is eliminate that headwind, create more of a price competitive environment in healthcare that can keep costs down. Yeah. So, again, potentially transformative. However, that being said, not necessarily a business model that you can put your money in. And, and, and Todd, I would say I, I think that there are sort of three main issues, and I think we can break them out each each separately a, a little bit here, right? So the first one, I think, is this issue of concentration of risk, right? I mean, I mean, thinking about the fact that uh, the administrative committee of the Walmart stores associates health and welfare plan, 14% of their total revenue in 2014. And the fact that their top 10 customers uh, represent 46% of their total revenue. I mean, that is just such an enormous amount of revenue, right? It's kind of hard to um, just think about the fact that, you know, what happens if, you know, one of those groups pulls out, right? It's an enormous risk for the company. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a they think three year contracts. Yeah. Um, so you're always going to be renewing somebody right. <laughs> that could theoretically say no, um, and that's a major risk. I mean, you know, Walmart's a huge employer; they're mm-hmm. a massively important um, customer. Now, granted, I believe that they renewed this year, so that's safe for a little bit while longer. But I think investors have to look at that and say, geez, what does happen if some of these customers decide that not enough of their employees are using this service and they're not seeing the savings that they had hoped to see um, in providing this access? And that, I think, segues very nicely into sort of problem number two, which is what's stopping competition from coming in and a a well-heeled competitor, let's say a health insurer, right, that they're aggregating this data from – stepping in with their own product and basically sort of consuming the market share that Castlight's been able to to gain? Really nothing. I yeah. mean, nothing. You know, I mean, they have – Castlight's inked agreements with most of the major health insurers to uh, gain access to their data. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. But there's nothing to say that the prices, the agreements can't change, that, the, that those insurers can't walk away from those deals. They don't work with everyone. Mm-hmm. And sure enough – there are some health insurers, uh, United Healthcare jumps to mind, that are working on 
um, services that could be, you could argue, compete with Castlight. So, yeah, that's a major risk. You know, they control that they don't control the data that they rely on. Right. And I think that that's got to make people say, OK, I don't know what that's going to mean for a long term business model. Right. And and yeah, that threat of just massive well-heeled competition is just is, it should be, I think, frightening for um, for people who are thinking about Castlight as uh, as an investment. Certainly, it, it scares me a great deal. Um, and then there's that third piece, which is the valuation. And I mean, this is healthcare, so we don't talk about valuation in quite the same way everybody else does, because of course, so much is based on so many things that you can't predict that could really happen in the future. Whether a drug gets uh, gets through the FDA or it doesn't, whether it commercializes well or it doesn't, and it's very difficult to to kind of model out what that risk looks like. But when you've got a company that um, is extremely reliant on a handful of uh, of uh, customers, and you've got you know massive uh, potential threats from well-heeled competitors who may choose to enter that marketplace. Then suddenly you have to think a little bit about valuation and what that company's valued at, and it's not cheap. Um, it's the market cap's what just under eight hundred million. That's about ten times this year's projected sales. Yeah, it's it, you can't make it. You know, when an IPO shares soared and then fell because people looked at it and said, "Great idea." Yeah. Rapid revenue growth, no sign of profitability anywhere in sight. Yeah. Um, you know, this company is spending $16 million a quarter just on sales and marketing, you know, and, and that's more than they are bringing in in revenue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, th- they're expected to lose, I think it's between 64 and $67 million this year. Um, you know, this would be a different story if we gave you those other risks and then we said, yeah, but you know what? They're making money. Um, but like you said, when you take all three of those and you put it together, it's very hard to make an argument that you should be going out and putting this one in portfolios. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a, that's a really good point. So yeah, three, three big issues for Castlight there, um, but still a. Uh, a company, and I would say a concept that we will very much be rooting for because love the idea of additional cost transparency. It is definitely a key thing in healthcare. Um, one of the one of the big trends. I think all of us, all of us who are served by healthcare in one way, shape, or form, want to see more of. So definitely a story we will be monitoring and sharing more on as we know more, folks. Thank you as always, and thanks to Todd. Uh, Todd, thank you for contributing today, uh, folks. Thanks for listening to uh, Industry Focus. We. Always love to uh, to hear from listeners. So I'm going to plug one more time: industryfocus at fool.com. Shoot us an email if you've got anything on your mind. Um, for the Motley Fool, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks much, and uh, check back to fool.com for all of your investing needs. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in companies that are mentioned, and the Motley Fool may have. Um, recommendations and own shares for or against um, stocks that are mentioned here. So please, please, please do not do anything with the stock based just on what you hear. Always do your own due diligence. That's how we become great investors. 